0: Welcome back to our growing Experiment. We're here with Wade and Bree from Good Hand Farm. So can you guys tell us about your farm?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so first of all, I just want to say thanks for having us on. It's uh, really cool that you're doing this in Sudbury and you're kind of like creating this cool community. And um, yeah, just thanks for having us on. It's really cool. Um, should I start or? Yeah, it's yeah. all right. so. I'm Wade, Um, I grew up here in Sudbury and um, I grew up on a cattle farm in Chelmsford and as a child, I can't say I was into farming. It was not something I wanted to do. Um, And I lived here for 20 years, um, mostly playing music and um, taking photos and doing photography and that's something I was really in. Back in the day. And um that led me to move to Montreal. When I moved to Montreal, I met Bree. And um after only like a couple months of knowing each other, she convinced me to go farming with her. And I was like, All right, let's do it. So we packed our bags from the city and um we moved to Mount Forest, Ontario. And we worked at Aldergrove Farm. Um Big shout out to Fraser and Glennis at Aldergrove because they kind of taught us what we know and kind of got us onto this train of wanting to be farmers. Um, so yeah, big shout out to them.
2: <laughs> Our dog
1: just opened the oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm no, no hungry. <laughs> um, where was I? Sorry about that. Um.
2: Uh, how we, Just how we got into farming.
1: Yeah. And farming so, all the
2: and
1: stuff. so we farmed there for a whole season and um, we really fell in love with it. I think that's kind of the point where we decided this is kind of something we want to do together and kind of create a lifestyle around it. Um, so after that, we moved back to the city. Um, I personally worked in a massive hydroponic greenhouse in Montreal. Um, it was on top of a mall and it was, pretty crazy experience like going throughout the winter in like a 30 degree greenhouse. Uh, We grew peppers, a lot of microgreens and herbs and um, after doing that for about a year we decided we wanted a change and this time I convinced Bree to move to Sudbury. Um, So we moved here about six months ago. Um, We bought the half acre property we own and yeah Now we're starting our very first season here, and
3: we're very excited. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Cool. And so you mentioned that you guys uh, met in Montreal. Bree, is that where you're from, or were you going to school there? Yeah,
2: I'm originally from Whitby, which is in southern Ontario, but I was living in Montreal. I lived there for about seven years doing school, doing my undergrad and my master's degree, and I was studying environment. So that's kind of the link between the farming and, and the academic world, and that's what drove me to be interested in, in farming and mostly farming regeneratively or sustainably. Um, yeah. So I went to school there, and I'm I'm working for a nonprofit doing research on organic agriculture. But um, yeah, our dream is to to farm full time one day. <laughs> we're starting small though. I'm just getting just getting into it.
3: Yeah. But that's really cool. So that's that's interesting, too, where you kind of had the school component and then you dove right into the uh, the actual practicum, I guess, or the putting it into into practice.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Then, it was from a very ideological place that I became interested in in this kind of farming. Yeah,
3: I think that's like definitely how most people we've talked to that. They have this sort of the similar thing. They get into it like kind of starry eyed in a way. So, getting into mm-hmm. it like that and then spending some time on um, well, Elder, elder, what was it called? Aldergrove. Aldergrove? Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, then spending some time on there and then doing the hydroponics. Uh, what did you learn and sort of how did that change how maybe you started out thinking?
1: Yeah. So, at Aldergrove, it was a full-fledged market garden. Uh, they grew kind of everything under the sun. And uh, we went to market once a week. Uh, we There was a CSA program through the farm as well. Um, and yeah, we were two of four employees, I think. Yeah, four employees. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a small, smaller group. Um, but yeah, we learned kind of everything that we're about to put to practice from Aldergrove. Um, just kind of everything from pest management to crop rotation to you know, treating your soil really well and and, and kind of taking those preliminary steps into farming. And then for me at uh, the hydroponic greenhouse, I mostly just learned a lot about indoor growing and how resilient plants can be and how, you know, um, in the middle of winter in Montreal, you can grow 40 foot pepper plants and have, you know, a successful harvest weekly. Um, so I, I think that, like from that aspect, it's kind of like you know the future of growing. I think it's going that way, and that's something that hopefully in the future we can implement up here. But um, I think it's going to take some time to get there. But
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, <clears throat> with the, with the hydroponic growing, you mentioned that you guys were doing also peppers and stuff like that as well. So it wasn't just sort of like your leafy greens. I've heard before one of the criticisms of growing hydroponically in the fruiting uh, types of plants is that they tend to be a little lacking in flavor. Is that something that Mm -hmm. you experienced or is that something you didn't experience? Um, I'd say like if you compare
1: an organically grown vegetable um, from that's, that's grown in the soil to something hydroponically, I think there's definitely a difference. Um, the company I worked for was like a massive producer for the city. So, you know, they're, they were concerned about more about, you know, pumping out as much fruit as they can when it comes to peppers and, and feeding as many mouths as they can, which, you know, I was very glad to be a part of. But yeah, I think for us, we're definitely more focused on, you know, growing here in our soil and, and really focusing on getting a healthy soil base and, and going from there.
3: Yeah, it's kind of like um, learning that whole sort of integrated environment because you mentioned the the pest management and stuff like that. So um, mm-hmm. in this in this first season uh, that you guys got started here, uh, what have you kind of sort of broke ground on, or not broke ground on, or how how have you started? Well,
2: I mean, we're just starting with our seedlings at the moment. We've sourced from organic seed companies from across. Canada and maybe in States, one or two of them, but trying to keep with the organic seating. Um, and we kind of retrofitted our <laughs> small spare bedroom into a uh, like little nursery because um, we moved in here in the fall. We didn't have any time to put up like a greenhouse or any kind of outdoor setup um, for our nursery. So that's where we're starting from. Um, we put some cardboard over some of our grass back in the fall to kind of try to kill kill the grass before we do our um, broad work, you know, loosening of the soil. Um, yeah, and just pick out where our plots are going to be. And um, we invested in a, a small greenhouse that we will be putting up in the next two weeks, hopefully, if the snow doesn't come back. Um, yeah, we're just kind of experimenting for this first year and just playing around with like we have so many different seed varieties mostly focusing on tomatoes and flowers but we have all different kinds of um, vegetables that we're going to try out yeah and
1: And also to add to that
0: sorry no I was just going to say I'm I'm sure it's going to be very different because you've worked in farms and everything you've been now starting yourselves with all the knowledge you have that that'll help a lot but I'm sure it'll just be a whole different world when you're actually there doing it right yeah Yeah.
1: yeah and also like we haven't grown here we haven't grown in the north uh we grew in southern ontario and i have grown in a greenhouse so there's going to be a lot of challenges and just learning to grow here is going to be i think the biggest one that we're going to have to face but Mm -hmm. yeah we're excited to we're excited to have our first season and yeah there's there's just a lot of work to do but we're we're definitely ready for it
3: yeah and that's the thing too right you got to like start that's you got to kind of get like get involved and get going with it right and like when you said too when you're first doing your planning and stuff like you mentioned there like you have tons of different varieties right now right and you kind of got to start out like that as as i would think because you know you got to find out what's going to grow well what's going to do well here what's going to do well for you guys you know and then say if you if you guys are going to market and stuff you know what does well at market right
1: mm-hmm
3: yeah and that's the plan it's, it's really kind of like
1: Taking this year and just kind of doing it on a very small scale and, you know, trying to sell any extra produce we have, um, you know, just online or having like some type of farm stand on our property. But, you know, I don't think we're planning on going to market this year or anything like that or, you know, having an abundance of food. We just really want to learn and and get that hands-on experience growing up here and then move forward and, and keep expanding as the years go on.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's exactly what you got to kind of do. Like I know for us too, like we're, this would be our fourth season kind of growing. And I feel like we've learned so much, especially in like the last two years. And then last year was our first season growing in a greenhouse. And that mm. for us was so crazy because like the, the amount of like uh temperature disparity or how quickly it can heat up in a greenhouse too. is like, and then, then you're thinking like you're worried about too much heat, which was something I never really thought about being worried about, but, you know, in the summertime, you know, your greenhouse, like ours would get up to 40 if we don't have the fan and the, and the vent open, right? So like learning right. all that kind of stuff and, and what will do well in our greenhouse too. So we've got like this year, we finally feel like we've got like a decent plan and we've got like a seedling station we started. We we kind of hit the ground running on that too. We like started our seedlings, we put them close to the windows and then they were like stretching a whole bunch because they weren't getting lights. We had to go run out and get lights and all right. that kind of stuff, but we're, we're excited for this year because we feel like we kind of we'll like this year we we're hoping that we'll like grow a bunch where we'll have a lot left over like this year we had a lot of pickles, we made a decent amount of salsa and we had a couple of other things. But this year we're hoping to have like potatoes and a bunch of other stuff we even we built the cellar and all that too for storing it all so yeah. Nice.
1: And that's the thing for us too is we're ultimately doing this to feed ourselves first and to you know get a good store for the winter. Um, and then everything that comes with it is just a bonus for us, you know, like the community we build around us and people who are into it and want to talk to us like you guys and, you know, just everything that comes with it is a bonus because just feeding ourselves is going to, you know, be satisfying as it is.
0: Mm -hmm. And I've seen you've made a connection with Nowhere Public House as well, where they've had some of your microgreens.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we grew microgreens all throughout the winter. It's something I've been doing since I was working at that uh, hydroponic farm in Montreal, because I, I learned quite a bit about it. So I've been doing it every winter since, just for ourselves, because um, there's really nothing like eating something green in December. Um, but yeah, so we connected with them and we've been selling what we have to them. Um, they're still you know growing as well, so it's nice to try and, support each other as we're growing and yeah it's it's been a it's been a nice relationship with them so far
3: yeah and, and from what I've heard too with a lot of the farmers we talk to like even when it comes to talking to other farmers and stuff like that there seems to be a lot of help in there have you guys had any luck in finding like someone uh, near you who you could kind of maybe talk to or sort of work out a sort of pseudo mentorship kind of program for the area or Because I know you guys have growing experience, but like, you know, it's kind of nice having that someone who has that little extra curve for the climate, let's say.
1: Yeah, we we connected with uh, Peg and Eric at Three Mm Forks, and uh, we've seen them around, like we went this summer, we went and like, you know, got food from them at the market and kind of introduced ourselves, and, and we've been friendly ever since. But I think, yeah, they kind of opened their doors being like, if you have any questions, if there's anything you need, just, you know, give us a message or give us a call, and definitely something we're going to look into, and we're probably going to be bugging them more than they wish that we we are. But, um, yeah, I think it's that community aspect, too, that's just really important. And I find Sudbury is very community-minded in that aspect. And, uh, yeah,
3: it's just a beautiful thing. I think um, they help out Walsh Farms, too, right? Because Wal- does not Walsh on where they used to be?
0: Yeah, they have the new property, Yeah, I'm not sure how much... uh... I I thought
3: she said they helped them a little bit. Yeah, they might be. I think so. But
0: yeah, even with all the farmers we've talked to, and we've talked to quite a few, it's it's pretty much like you're saying, like, very community-oriented. Everybody wants to kind of help each other. So it's good that you're starting out in an area where you can get a lot of support. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. We definitely feel lucky having that. Um, And it's also, like, we moved from Montreal, and, like, the outpour of like community support here is insane when you lived in a city for Mm -hmm. five years because you know you walk down the street in montreal and no one ever says hi to you or anything but you know being here it's you walk in to anywhere and you know you usually know some people and you can just introduce yourself and it's really easy to make connection that way and yeah it just feels feels really homey and and something we really enjoy Mm
0: -hmm. and uh you said that you grew up on a cattle farm
1: yeah, I, I grew up in Chelmsford. Um, my grandfather raised cattle. Um, and yeah, I, I lived there until I was 10, I believe, 10 or 12. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a great upbringing. And my grandmother had like a massive garden and, you know, like every grandmother does. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good experience. But I think that there's something about like growing up on a farm. There's kind of this like resistance to like be a farmer when you're like growing up and when you're in high school it's like oh, I just want to be like I want to do sports or art and stuff I don't necessarily want to just like work with my hands and be a farmer but I think it definitely just came back and swooped me up because I just I don't know I I was really attracted to it once I was older and we went and worked on that farm
3: yeah like I never, I never grew up on a farm per se, but I grew up in like a small town and I never had any interest in like really growing food and stuff. My parents had a garden when I was growing up and I can remember like liking picking carrots out of the garden and rinsing them with the hose and eating them out of the garden or like grabbing peas off there or whatever else. And the fresh corn was great. But then like, I don't know, like probably, you know, you get to be a teenager and stuff like that. You don't care about that anymore. And then I guess as we started, uh, like Sophia and I, after we got married and started our family and stuff, we started kind of thinking like, you know, you know, how, how, how do we get our food? Where does it come from? You know, like, you know, how healthy is our food? You know, how, how much could we do to produce our own food and that kind of thing? And we kind of stumbled down that path too. So it sounds like there was, you you almost get kind of called to it in a way sort of thing. And it doesn't help, or it doesn't hurt, rather, meeting Brie, who sounds like she was already sort of tiptoeing down that path. Yeah, yeah. She definitely led me down that path.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I was like, I'm going.
1: You can come if you want. (laughs) Yeah, at the time, I was playing music in Montreal, not going anywhere, and she just kind of took me with her. So, very glad that happened.
2: Also, it happened to be COVID. Like, we really lucked out because this was like start of 2020 when we you know signed our contract with them to go work there for the following season and we had no idea that COVID was going to be what it was so we ended up being on the farm for like the first basically year of COVID and we had no idea what life was like in the city (laughs) we came back it was crazy but yeah we had some distance from it
1: yeah we definitely left at the right time
3: so when you were on the farm then because you're like kind of out in the open air and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it must've been kind of like almost like you didn't really notice it. Like, I mean, let's, let's, you know, say you pretend you turn the news off or whatever. You almost wouldn't know anything was going on. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It it felt like that for a while um, being there, but we started going to market in Toronto. um, Probably like in May or June. Yeah. And that's when we're like, Oh wow. Yeah we forgot about this thing that's going on and we have to wear a mask and all this. Cause it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty free of COVID where we were and um, we were just kind of working every day and not even thinking about it twice. Really? Yeah.
3: Yeah. There's, I think there's some, some people, if you, if you kind of kind of got it just right, like how you guys kind of did where you were, maybe you work in a specific sector where you're kind of on your own all the time anyways, or you're outdoors. And like say, or say like uh, tree planters in the summertime, that's kind of like a best case scenario. Cause you're outside all spread out all day anyway. So it's just business as usual, really. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of nice. Cause you get to kind of keep that sort of normalcy because I think for a lot of people, they had that total disruption, right. Where they basically were like locked up in their house, basically maybe. And even having their food delivered, like not even going to the grocery store or nothing like that. And we like, I don't I don't think um, that's great for a person, right? Like, you know, that when you want to punish a prisoner, you lock them up by themselves. And we know that has like a, you know, not a great effect on the the psyche of a person. So, you know, it's 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 kind of nice. You can count your blessings when you end up in a a position like that. And it, it also kind of like in a way, too, is kind of like the one of the benefits of having that sort of lifestyle to begin with is like, If you're living on the farm and you're growing your own food, you always kind of have a sort of insulation from any of the chaos that kind of comes to say the society at whole or at large.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like yeah, we we would make very seldom trips to like the grocery store when we lived on the farm, you know, to get certain things. But like even then we lived in such a small town when we were there that it nothing really changed and yeah, I, I just think that as we returned to Montreal after the farm, it was still, like, pretty intense, uh, COVID was, especially in Quebec, and we were definitely, yeah, it definitely took a toll on the Well, boat
2: yeah, boat there, boat. Were lock, there were lockdowns, like, where you'd have to limit your bubble. I don't know if we, you had that in Ontario, but they lim- you could only see, what, like, two people? Yeah. Yeah, anyway. With it, was, curve it was like, a, people like people. a law. It was pretty yeah. really
3: well and then i am not exactly sure how they worked that out too with the the explicitness of how much it was a law or like a statute or a whatever kind of thing which is besides the point the point being that there were some pretty strenuous measures taken where like you're saying and and from what i understand yeah in montreal they were especially with, with the curfews and that type of thing too so and we yeah. we didn't have the curfews here at one point they talked about an idea of like um basically they wanted you to have like permission to go to and for work. Like if you, you basically it was like, if you're outside of your house and you don't have a reason to be, you don't have permission to be basically. And so like my, uh, where I was working, they sent us home with like these slips of paper that basically gave us permission from our boss to go to work. And it was like a crazy thing to me. Cause like, I was like, I guess these are my actual papers for when I get pulled over for the authorities to tell them exactly what I'm doing. And like, it was, it was, it was I don't know. Like, for, for me, at least you know like you you read you read nineteen eighty four and then you're like, wow, this is I guess this is what it's like a little bit, you know it's like where's your papers? Yeah, where are you going it's and I can understand why people were doing what they were doing. It was a scary time, and people try to do their best to sort of mitigate harm and stuff like that, and sometimes you hit the mark and sometimes you miss the mark I mean you know you're yeah. you don't know you don't know what's the best to do until you do something and figure out how it worked out positively or negatively, so yeah.
1: And being on the other side of it all at this point, feels feels like it didn't even happen sometimes. Like I look back mm-hmm. and I'm just like, you know, I know it's hard to say that, but it's still, it, it feels pretty normal and it just sometimes feels like a bad dream.
3: <laughs> yeah, it does kind of have that effect. And I wonder with that too, like, if there isn't something lost in that maybe a little bit, because like it, it was, it was like a, really a historical event to live through like you know there generations from now people are going to talk about like they talk about the spanish flu kind of thing like they'll talk about covid right. years and years from now like you know you'll tell your grandkids like oh yeah no we lived through that it wasn't that bad i guess i don't know uh, we
1: were <laughs> the first time. Yeah.
3: yeah but like no it's one of those things where like it's it's probably hard to have that perspective, right? Like once you go through it and then you're just on the other side of it, like you said, it, it does sort of feel like a dream. Like, did that actually happen? Like, where are we now? And like, there was um, a couple of things recently where like uh, measures that were put in place during the pandemic recently come off where it was like a sick day pay or whatever. And it was one of those things that come off and you're like, okay, I, I think everyone's saying like, it's over now. Like, everyone, right. like everyone's been kind of feeling that a little bit for a while now and now it's starting to be like i think i think i think it's all right i think we're all yeah. right yeah
1: yeah for sure yeah
0: and i think throughout all of it i think it's where lots of people started thinking a little bit more like we're thinking right where you grow your own food mm-hmm. that kind of thing like i th- i think there's some good that came out of uh just fear right fear isn't always a bad thing it's it's a way to become prepared so like I think that's something that hopefully more people want to do like uh just even gardening in your own backyard right
2: yeah I think also a lot of people became more aware of their health and then how healthy the food is that they're consuming and I think that kind of led a lot of people to wanting to grow their own food or get into farming on like a small even a small scale or just self-sufficiency
3: because um
2: it kind of you know, put that on display in a way that wasn't
3: really before. Well, yeah, exactly. Because like, you know, the, the best case scenario through a pandemic or otherwise, like just general case scenarios, you want to be as fit as possible or as healthy as possible, right? And so you want to eat as healthy food as possible. And mm. the more you do in the way of doing that, the less risk you're going to have towards getting sick or developing any kind of disease. Providing you're also eating, you know, in proper balance and proportion and all that kind of stuff and doing a bit of uh, uh, physical activity and whatever else. But yeah, you do all that stuff right. And and like you said, we kind of, you're kind of like, uh, before like the pandemic, you don't worry about that. You're like, ah, eating cheeseburgers, whatever, I'm a couple pounds overweight. And then that hits, and you're like, uh, you know what maybe i i don't need that maybe i could you know use a couple inches off the waistline and then you know it just then you feel better and you know like you're right you're being a little more mindful and all that and uh where your food comes more uh, more health oriented and stuff like that and i think that's a good learning extra or a, a learning experience we all got out of this yeah for sure mm-hmm. yeah well oh go ahead
0: no, I was just curious. Uh, going back to Montreal, what kind? What did you do for music?
3: Um.
1: Well, I so I moved to Montreal originally to do photography. Um, okay. But I played. I played in bands in separate before I left. So I kind of wanted to continue to play music there. Um. I yeah. I, I started like a country, like project, and I did that in Montreal for a bit, and it it all came to a halt when. Covid started um and we also left for the farm but yeah um yeah so I was just kind of doing a couple of different projects and yeah now that I'm back in Sudbury there's actually a lot of people that I used to play with that are still playing so it's also something I kind of want to get back into
3: yeah that's cool like um I've always kind of like had an appreciation for that like I like especially too like um we went to uh, Montreal one time and there was a bar we went to called uh
0: Le Du Pierrot.
3: Le Du Pierrot. And it was like a bar where they had like uh, live music. It was all kind of built around the stage in a way. And it was super Mm -hmm. cool to be like sitting down. I mean, the music's way too loud, but it's still like cool to be in there in that environment. Like it just feels like a real kind of party environment. And it seemed Mm -hmm. like they had like regulars that would come there too. And they they had like a kind of an atmosphere kind of thing. And it was super cool. So I've always kind of liked like that kind of live music when I could go and experience it. I'm not much of a bar goer anymore, but I mean, like, I still, I still, I still have an appreciation for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's also something that attracted us to Sudbury is that yeah, it might you know be a smaller city, but it still has an art scene and a music scene, and these, those are two things that we really you know appreciate and things that we enjoy. So, you know, I think we really kind of struck gold moving here because we kind of have the best of both both worlds. You know, we can live um out here and, and farm and also you know drive into the city and you go watch a show at night and yeah the balance is just really nice and i think moving forward with farming i think the balance is going to be even more important to you know take some time to enjoy those things and just yeah live a more balanced life
3: Yeah, and that's actually a good point, too, Um, the sort of balance you can kind of get in Sudbury, because that's one of those things that I also think makes Sudbury like a perfect sort of um, hub or sort of center for people doing exactly what you guys are doing, because you have sort of the, the city center of Sudbury, and then you have all these smaller communities that are generally still or used to be farming communities, and there's still lots of farming land there, and it seems like there's a lot of younger people sort of getting into it, and having access to that hub, so, like, a big city center, a fairly big city center, that you could feed a lot of people and get them going on more towards of a farming sort of type, uh, like, more more localist type sort of uh, eating, I kind of mean. And and yeah. because there's, there's, like, I have hoped that we could see, like, a trend towards more localism, local eating, that kind of stuff. And because we have, like, food festivals here and stuff, and, that, like, you mentioned the music culture, like, I think there's a lot of that there. And I'm I'm hopeful if there's more people who are younger who want to move out of bigger cities and get into the more sort of rural, but they don't want to jump into, like, the middle of nowhere, this could be, like, a kind of a cool, like, mixing spot, right, where you get the the cool kind of, like, urban hip music scene mixed in with the kind of cool food that's locally grown and stuff like that. Or if I dream big for Sudbury, that's what I kind of dream big.
0: Well, even just thinking of Nowhere Public House, they yeah. create that a little bit, right? So having yeah. more
2: places like that, you know, that would be great. Yeah, yeah you really see that like, well, I feel like with, you know, maybe some time there could be the developments of that here.
1: Yeah, and I think that, like, the beauty of it is every big enough population-wise to, like, support something like that, you know, like, I I'm a big proponent of, I, I want to see the downtown grow and I want to see businesses like we're talking about open to support farmers and makers and growers and people who like to produce goods. Um, I think that like it just, somebody needs more of that and I really hope with time that's where it's headed because I think it'll just continue to support people who live on the outskirts but are still connected to the city.
3: Right, and then the other thing that I like about it that we've talked about a lot on here is I like the idea of circulating money in a, in a local economy because it's like everyone kind of gets to touch the same dollar almost, because and eventually it is going to leave because it's you're going to have to go buy something from some big blockchain blockchain some big chain store or whatever, right? That's just how it's going to how it's going to be, but. If you can if I can like go and give my money to you guys, say, and buy some produce off of you and then you go take that money and you buy feed off of somebody who's still in town and then they take that money and they give it to someone to buy a cow or, or maybe at that point it goes out. That's still pretty good. Whereas in other situations, you have someone who gets their paycheck, they go to the grocery store and that's that dollar just went from their, their pocket to out. It's gone now. It's right. gone to some other big city center. And I kind of believe that like, with the way you invest in communities is by doing that right because when you're putting money in the community and spending money in the community i figure to me that's where you're going to see uh more likelihood of having higher paying jobs or at least jobs that are sort of better for a person who wants to have a family wants to grow a family and then when you have a place where you have young people who want to grow families that's when your communities really want to go right because now you have a a new young generation Who's got new ideas? They got some energy. Hopefully, they got a good foundation that you kind of built with this new city kind of thing. And like, it's it's cool. Like, 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 like I don't know. I I kind of like being hopeful about because we could kind of we're kind of like maybe on the ground floor of this in a way, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: And like, we're really lucky. Like, we live in Whitefish, so we're 25 minutes from downtown, and like that's that was a big reason why we moved to Whitefish specifically. Or you know, we wanted to just be within half an hour of, of the city because there's yeah there's a lot of parts of the city we enjoy and we lived in montreal before so you know it's nice to get a little taste of you know art and culture every once in a while
0: so the land that uh you guys are on you said it was a half
1: acre yeah so we purchased the half acre in uh november um and this season we're growing on about a quarter um we also have friends who live close by where we're growing with as well. Um, They offered to uh, grow together and to use some of their land as well. So this season, we're going to grow a lot of stuff here. We're also going to kind of grow some bulk crops, um, some like onions, carrots, beets on their property, um, some stuff that's a little more low maintenance. And yeah, so we are here for now on this half acre. And I think with time and as we progress, you know, we might have to move because of space. Um, But I think for now, um, what we want to do here and our our goal is to experiment and learn to grow in the north. I think this is like perfect for us. Um, But yeah, I guess time will tell.
2: Yeah, I think also we're interested in like the principles of permaculture and learning a little bit more about getting the most out of the space that you do have and not having to have um, acres and acres to grow an abundance of food. Uh, and like nutrient-dense food, so that's something that we kind of want to experiment and play around with we're going to try to do some interplanting with our tomatoes and maybe some beets which is something that aldergrove did really successfully so yeah using our space wisely and um learning more about permaculture or ideas related to permaculture
3: yeah no we we're the same way we had the same idea because well, we just live in a, in a suburb here in sudbury and uh, that was our exact idea like we have Uh, granted we have a decent sized lot for being in a suburb, but like part of it would you normally think be sort of unusable, but we kind of basically built gardens in a way that kind of just work with the land that we got and kind of built them up on these rocks and stuff like that. And then we, we got our greenhouse and stuff like that. And the same, same thing, like you're talking about, how much food can you grow in a small area? And then once you nail that, right, you just take that same model and you multiply it. Right. And then, so, and, that's usually one of the things I think when people first start out in their farm, they actually go too big. Usually they buy like a big lot and sounds like you guys kind of got the right idea, right? Where you want to nail all those principles. And then once you get those principles, right, you because even on that chunk of land that you've got there, you can grow a ton of food because how much was it that um, the burley farmers were doing? They were using an eighth acre. Was it an eighth acre? It was less than a half acre.
0: Less than a half acre, and I think it was 8,000 pounds of produce.
3: Yeah, like, they were growing lots. Yeah, they they were a really good interview. They, They had, like, lots of information, especially about growing peppers and stuff like that. And then uh, Superior Gardener there too, she's also really good at like uh, interplanting and stuff. She uses that- um,
0: square, uh, square foot method.
3: The Burley Farmers, same thing, it's the market gardener. It's, uh, I can't remember the name of the author, but anyways, that's uh, this guy, the market gardener, he's, he's well known, I guess, in this sort of space. And he has this idea, at least according to the Superior Gardener, where you, you, you plant basically on a square foot sort of base. And so you can plant so many of this in a square foot and so many of this and how they kind of all fit together and her garden looks pretty good. Like she's got it all filled in the right way and she does a pretty good job of managing like the, the canopy. So like they're growing all kind of at the right time where nothing's overshadowing anything else. Like it's, it's cool to see it done. We haven't nailed it yet at all, but, but we've, we've seen them do it. So we know it can be done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like I, I personally think that like what we have here is plenty of room Um also, like we both work full time jobs, so it's something that's going to be, you know, stuff we're going to do after work and on weekends. So, you know, biting off, well, I think we're biting off just enough right now. Probably
3: too much. Probably too much. But, too much, but I life. just
1: think.
2: <laughs> so we're excited about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good though. It's ambition, and as as you can bite off more than you can chew, but as long as you don't choke, like you know, right. you have to there and chew a little longer, but that's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so what are you guys that, right,
3: right. go ahead, sorry.
1: What are you guys excited to grow
3: this season? uh this year, I'm really excited, so we have five or six varieties of tomatoes uh five, but we're gonna switch
0: one out. so we have two determinate varieties and four indeterminate varieties, so we'll switch out the determinant varieties so a total of six tomato varieties and we're growing it all in the in the growing dome.
3: Nice. Yeah, and then we got another uh, we're growing five different varieties of peppers. Yeah. When we first planted them this year, we had uh, I planted them in like soil, like just dirt I took from the dome instead of putting mm-hmm. them in pro mix, which I should have just done from the get-go cuz it's a nice sterile start, right? And I had it mm-hmm. in the soil and you know whatever I got going on in my soil in the dome, right? So anyways, we had a few that didn't germinate. Okay. So we had a few that didn't quite germinate. So we ended up planting a bunch. Now we've got like, I think we had 46 or 42 of one kind of tomato. And then so now we've got like kind of like too many of one and then, and then just the right amount of the other and stuff like that. So we'll probably end up just giving away a bunch of seedlings to friends or something like that, or, or we'll just plant more. We thought about getting maybe just pots and putting them around. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited for the the peppers and the tomatoes because uh the peppers would be kind of cool because they're a little bit spicy we can mix them with salsas um a couple of the tomatoes we're growing are actually uh tomatillos so they're the Mm -hmm. they're like little tomatoes with uh like a like a uh, like a skin on them kind of thing like a shell it's not the right thing yeah i think you know what i'm talking about by the look of you Um, okay so anyways i guess they're usually used in like a salsa verde and um so that's what we're going to try to plan to use them from and so when we picked some of the varieties that we're going to have in the dome, we sort of picked them on a color palette sort of thing. So there's going to be like um, red and green and yellow and purple and like a few different colors in there. And we hope, we hope we're like when it fills out, it's going to, you're going to have like these kind of like color pops everywhere. Like we're hoping it's going to really look nice in there. And then oh, yeah. um, this, this year, I'm excited too for growing. Uh, we're going to try to grow a bunch of, of uh, potatoes. We're going to try to grow them in like towers. Again, trying mm-hmm. to grow in as little space as possible. Um, we've got a box that we tried potatoes in last year. We're going to use for onions this year. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see like how much we can fill up our uh, our cold room. And I'm excited to see like uh, if we if our color palette pops in the dome that we want it to. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was saying that I was excited for the colors of the tomatoes in the dome. I was excited for all the stuff we were going to hopefully fill that up with. Uh, I was excited for potatoes and stuff like that. Is there anything that you're excited for that maybe I didn't mention? Oh, I, I know what you could say. but see, <laughs> You know what you, I could say? I'd see if you guess not if, if you don't say it, I'll say it. <laughs> well, now, now I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. Well, I'll just say what you want to say
0: uh hmm what am i excited about i don't know go ahead
3: i was gonna say we uh we planted all those fruit bushes oh yeah we planted uh 29 different fruit bush well not different but 29 fruit bushes there in our in our yard this year so we planted um two apple trees we planted six raspberries uh two gooseberries or three gooseberries two two gooseberries three has caps three blueberries uh two goji berries four kiwis two grapes and the cherry trees yes and the cherry bushes or no just cherry bushes yeah and then, and trees, yeah. And then there was a cherry a cherry a cherry plum cherry plum that's what it was mm. yeah so we're hoping to see how many of those survive the winter and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and uh, I think my dog might have trampled the uh, gooseberry one of our gooseberry bushes so we'll see how that but I don't think she trampled anything else so i think i think most of the bushes have survived the trees look good and the trees apparently are the harder to grow apparently mm-hmm. once they get a little bit older their bark changes it gets more like uh hardy and then they're not right. as susceptible to the frost and stuff so it's the first few years and if we can get past that they should be all right and then i guess you have to worry about disease and stuff but forgiving that we should be all right so I guess there's Mm -hmm. lots to be excited about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you have any experience with that kind of thing, the fruit bushes and trees, or is it more uh, in the soil with the garden? Yeah, I I have no
2: experience. No fruit, yeah. But would love to plant some. Um, The only thing I'd be concerned about is pests, like, coming to eat the fruit. That smells amazing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. bears potentially smell more like yeah deer maybe Mm -hmm. but um yeah what's the farm thing that's
3: right around here beautiful field yeah 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 is that where you got yeah from phil there yeah no nice yeah we're kind of lucky too because we're in the suburb too where we do see bears but usually they're kind of uh like backed on different areas like we don't have access to like any of the the bush basically in the suburb So like they'd be kind of out of place to go into our backyard. I mean, not to say that they wouldn't go back there if they thought there was a decent food source, but we got a dog in the backyard. So that's kind of a deterrent. And then um, as for like the other stuff, like birds and stuff, we planted probably enough where if those bushes really get going, we'll probably still get a decent amount for ourselves off there as well. Like, I'm not yeah. super worried about it because we're in the city, too. Like, there's a lot of noise and stuff. But who knows? Maybe we'll have a backyard full of birds and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's,
0: kind of, that's kind of what we want in a way is yeah. kind of like an ecosystem, right? Where we do have right. pollinators yeah. coming here and doing their thing.
3: Yeah, that's true because we're planting a bunch of flowers, too. I forgot we did a flower bed, too. We The last couple of years, we basically, like, added a garden bed or two or More. a flower bed. <laughs> I, I spent, like, we... We've, yeah, we've basically, like, just been, all we've been doing is building these last three years. This year, we're growing stuff, and I think, no, I, I had made a couple of projects for this summer. We'll we'll see. Uh, like, I'm, I'm sure you guys know, too, right? Like, you always got, like, another project or another plan. You're like, oh, wait, no, we could do this, or, oh, this was cool, we could do this, or like, oh, no, that was a good idea, we could build on that, or, you know, kinda, yeah. you kind of... Yeah,
1: the list is very long, especially for the springtime coming, and, like, I've just been biting. Waiting at the bit for the snow to be gone, so that our hoop house can go up and we can start moving some seedlings into the hoop house and kind of getting some space back in our house.
3: Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm counting down the days too, where we can get our uh, seedlings out from underneath our grow lights and into the dome, because they're starting mm. to get like to the point now where they're probably going to almost outgrow the shelving we have for them. So when I want right. to get them out there, because I I think in another couple of weeks it'll stay warm enough in there where I won't be worried about the frost getting at them anymore, because it'll be generally warm enough outside. Because right now it's it'll still get down to like minus one in there. The odd time okay. if we get a day with like no sun that the day before, and that's cold enough to like freeze up your tomatoes and stuff. The the kale yeah. and stuff we got in there right now doesn't mind that at all, but.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, cool. yeah, and we're hoping to get that too. Where we're uh, we're doing like kind of like um we got a bunch of stuff planted in there now that we want to pull out by like June basically, and then that's where all our tomatoes and peppers are going to go in there. And then we're going to have a couple other things we're going to try to pull out of there. It's we're we're trying to get into that like succession sort of type farming too, where you're kind of getting in the habit of planting one thing after the other. And you right, guys got yeah. any plans to try that this year? Or are you guys going to try to do like the interplanting and like one harvest or? Well, I think we
1: want to do some succession planting with certain crops. Um, but I kind of want to get tomatoes in our hoop house, tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers in there as early as possible. Um, I'm just a sucker for tomatoes and I want to, I want to grow as many as I can for as long as I can. And, um, both, both like experiences that that I've had with growing tomatoes. Um, we, you know, you do a technique that's called the lower and lean technique. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you're basically keeping one tomato plant growing from when you plant it to like October, you know, or September, October, and you're just promoting upwards growth as much as you can, which then, um, results in more fruit because it's just continuing to set flowers here and there and um so the technique is basically you're lowering your plants and you're leaning them to one side so that the plants can continue to grow upwards as you bring them down they continue to grow upwards so you can you can really grow a tomato plant to like 30 feet long and just continuously pump out tomatoes as much as you can and i think that's our plan with our poop house because we can't really we don't really want to grow tomatoes outside because of a lot of different reasons um but yeah, so I think our hoop house is going to be nice and filled, and we're not really going to change what's in there, but um, everything else that we're growing out uh, in, in the ground, we definitely want to continuously uh, alter and also just switch beds and not, never put the same thing in the same
3: spot ever, you know, and just keep switching that over. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's the point, Yeah. That sort of lean you were talking about there. So you must have to have the tomatoes sort of like on a rig where you can kind of move it all the time. Cause like, it sounds yeah. like you're, you're kind of growing it horizontally and vertically kind of at the same time, but you're letting it kind of like fall as it grows. You're like, yeah. I don't know if I'm doing a good it, job it, showing that.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's like basically in your hoop house, you're going to set up like a wire on the top of your hoop house. Um, and then you're going to have your tomatoes clipped in on top of that where that wire is down with like a trellis. And then as your tomato gets to a certain height, you're gonna lower it down and you're gonna like move it to the side. And you're gonna do that with all your tomato plants. So they're all moving at the same time and they're all able to get more vertical growth. And with that, you can just continuously keep pushing that vertical growth and continue to um, get all your suckers off and prune the way you would prune. And you can continue to get fruit for a long time.
3: Go ahead.
1: Sorry. I gonna say when I worked at the um, hydroponic farm in Montreal, we grew pepper plants on one side of the greenhouse. And we grew them for I think it was 15 months. And they produced for 15 months straight. And it was like a weekly harvest would yield about 7,000 peppers.
2: With the strategy, the lower and lean?
1: Uh, no, they didn't lower and lean because they had forty-foot ceilings.
2: Okay, good. but
1: just like yeah, like like, that, and that's that's kind of what I learned there is just like plants are super resilient. and You can push them to to keep producing if you have the right climate and the right um, nutrients for it. And that's kind of something I want to do here because of our space, because of you know our limitations with space. Is just keep trying to find techniques to get plants to produce for as long as possible.
3: That's an interesting point you make, too, because I've heard people say that if you can get the, those, especially those indeterminants to grow like longer and taller, that they'll grow more and then they'll grow even like bigger bushels. Like they'll grow more tomatoes on a bushel even, which is exactly what you kind of want. Right. So the plant almost has to mature to be able to produce the way you really want it to. And the, the method that you're talking about sort of gives you access to that. And so with the peppers, you mentioned that they had a lot of uh, room where they could grow upwards. So were they just growing like these monster pepper plants? Like how big were the pepper plants getting?
1: Yeah, so I think I think the greenhouse was forty feet tall, and I think they got they almost got to the top by the end of the fifteen months. And we so the greenhouse I worked at had like a rail system throughout the greenhouse, and we were all on like hydraulic lifts. So the lifts would take you all the way to the top of the plant, so you could prune. And harvest and then you'd bring your harvest down in bins and collect them all um, but yeah that was like I would spend just days and weeks just being on these hydraulic lifts working with the pepper plants and um, by the end of the season it was pretty crazy because it really just kind of looked like a forest in there but it was just all peppers.
3: I I like so like you're talking about like a over a 30 foot tall like a pepper plant.
1: Oh yeah yeah.
3: Yeah. I don't even like. That's like that's a pepper tree. I never even <laughs> thought that was fucking possible. <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah, cool. I, mean, I, I heard you. To, I encourage you to look it up. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, fifteen months. Yeah, cause like I've I, I've never had. We haven't been very good at growing our peppers so far. So I, I've I've seen a thirty centimeter tall pepper plant. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I thought that was pretty amazing. So thirty feet. Holy hell! Uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, pretty it cool. Like, go ahead.
1: The biggest thing about it was just, like, we had so many workers. So, like, you could prune so efficiently and just so precisely to the point where the plants would, like, it, it would be one of these things where there'd be a pruning day. Everybody would go out and prune. The next day, the plant grew like a foot. And just because of the pruning technique that we were taught. And then after that, you would just kind of repeat that every week where you prune harvest and it would grow prune harvest and then by the end of the season our only goal was to stress the plant out as much as we could because then it would produce way more fruit um so for like the last two months of the 15 months it was just like cranking the heat um and giving less nutrients so that i was stressing out and trying to produce and go to seed and produce more fruit
3: Hmm. And then when you first started the those pepper plants out, were you doing like lots of like um, topping or like low stress training to kind of like spread out the canopy on them? Or how did you sort of structure them in the beginning?
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, uh, the goal was just to promote as much like as much growth in, within the leaves and to, um, you know, pinch the king fruit as it starts and to actually pinch fruit and deter it from fruiting and and just put its energy towards the leaf system and the foliage. So we don't focus for, on that for like a month and then there'd be like a period where we wouldn't have peppers to harvest, but it was kind of like, you know, you're sacrificing the beginning for the next 12 months sort of thing. So yeah, there was like a, a portion of time where we wouldn't be harvesting and we would just be pruning and um, yeah, like hooking the trellis higher and continuing the upwards growth.
3: So I got to wonder then, um, when people are producing peppers at scale on farms, I'm presuming they're doing this probably in a more Southern climate where they could do that. They must be, I, I mean, are they are growing maybe just a whole shitload fields of just like smaller pepper plants, or I wonder if they're growing like big monster pepper plants, sort of like you're saying for that sort of abundant yield that it produces in that longer period. Because, I mean, from the way that you're saying it, maybe it's because of the limited space that you're better off to take that time investment to get the increased yield, whereas if you, say, are less limited in space, you could do that turnover, so there's, like, you know, a point where those sort of cross over.
1: For sure, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's kind of a crossover point. I think, like, the greenhouse I was working for, that's kind of what they were thriving for, was, like, you know, they had a lot of space, but it was still limited because was. You know the, the greenhouse is on top of a shopping mall so you know you couldn't expand um so from there it was like figuring out the best way where you could grow as much or get as much fruit as possible within your limited space
3: right yeah and so that's where you gotta like keep it older longer that's kind of interesting because like i'm wondering you know how early could we start our pepper plants and then get them into the dome at a mature stage like i wonder if you could like do something like that or if they get too big inside before you could get them out there then even then anyways we don't have 40 feet in there to grow them that big <laughs> but if you could grow them like say you know four or five feet and just keep trimming yeah. them at the top then maybe you could use a similar principle or that's kind of an interesting idea
0: yeah we have to first figure out how to yeah let's process.
3: just grow peppers first yeah, yeah. Grow
0: peppers first. average size pepper plant is our goal <laughs>
3: no grow grow monster plants <laughs> or don't even bother growing
1: them. 15 months
3: through. yeah 15 months well yeah and then even then you can't do 15 months in the dome you have to overwinter we, you'd have you to need light it. and heat yeah
0: mm-hmm. um so we talked a lot about this year coming i'm just wondering what your goals would be like some of your goals for the next few years
1: um i mean like we mentioned i think our first goal is learning how to grow here efficiently and and effectively um also i'd say a big goal is to build our soil um on this property and get it to a healthy level where Um, You know, we just have to add compost every year, you know, to to keep that fertility up. Um, But I think that's going to be kind of, you know, a pretty big challenge in terms of building it to, you know, a a point where it kind of takes care of itself. Um, Where we're at right now, I think it's been sawed for like, probably 50 years. Um, I think it used to be farmland, but it's just been sawed for the longest time. So it's going to be a lot of work to rip up that sod, but then hopefully underneath we have something that's pretty workable. Um, and if not, we're just going to have to keep working at it and getting it to a, a good, healthy
3: point. Um, this is kind of like a bit of a sidebar, I guess, but sod, I've heard that term used before. Is there like a difference between like sod and like say regular grass or something like that? Like sod is kind of like, I guess, like I, I think of like a, uh, turf basically but like thicker i mean
1: i think i think i mean i don't i'm not sure but i think sod (laughs) like it has been like it was planted at some point like it it wasn't grass before and someone came and like put sod down
2: that is like the grass that you roll oh it is yeah yeah. <laughs> okay.
3: yeah like they farm it yeah you they grow it like in strips kind of it's like it's like it's still grass but it's not like uh it's grown in strips like that i don't think it only throws deep roots is probably what it is and that that would be the soil health component that you guys would be worried about i would guess yeah 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 for sure yeah
2: yeah well well <laughs> we're gonna
3: tackle it <laughs> what's that sorry
2: Grass is hard to deal with, especially I remember when we worked at the farm, this one we called twitch. Yeah. It's like the worst type of grass. I don't know if you know what it is, but you start pulling it and it's like. Never ends. It never ends. Like you can't
3: actually oh, get it. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it looks like a stem and then you pull it out and it's like a rope almost where you just keep pulling yeah. the soil and it keeps going and going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that in our perennial yeah, bed yeah. and in the dome sometimes. Yeah. Would you call that twitch or kitsch?
2: Twitch, Witch, that's what we call
3: it at the farm, Twitch okay.
2: Yeah, but uh, yeah, hopefully we have none of
1: that. And if that's clear, that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who
3: doesn't? Yeah, well, it's one of those things you got to deal with. But uh, anyways, it was it was awesome talking to you guys. Thanks for taking the time coming to talk to us. Um, yep. If anyone uh, wants to keep an eye on what you guys are doing, keep an eye on your progress and stuff like that, uh, where do they check out what you're doing and uh, and all that kind of thing?
1: Uh, Yeah, we are kind of updating this season pretty regularly on Instagram um, at Good Hand Farm. And uh, I think we also set up like a Facebook. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're just going to be experimenting and we might have some extra crops or some extra produce to sell this year. So that's something that people could look out for. Um,
2: Yeah, tomatoes and floral bouquets (laughs) on Instagram is probably where we're going to try to sell any extras. So, yeah.
3: No, well, perfect. Well, again, so yep. thank you very much for talking to us, and uh, we'll see you soon.
1: Yeah, yeah. for sure. Thank you.